0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Samuel chapter 24, 2 Samuel 24, and let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is sufficient to build us up, Lord, and to correct us. And I pray, Lord, to challenge us. And Lord, I ask that you would just now, by your spirit, Lord, open our eyes, that we may see wondrous things from your law. And Lord, that we would just glean, Lord, the truths, the things that we need to take out of this chapter to each and every one of our lives, Lord, to be able to go out and to bring you glory. Lord, help us to bring you glory. Lord, and to even help others, Lord, to do good for others. So thank you so much for this time. Forgive us of our sins. We ask for your blessings. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Samuel 24, in verse 1, it says again, The anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. The anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Why do you think it was aroused? Uh, More than likely, they were in sin. Something was going on in the nation. We don't really know the details of it. And this is kind of a, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was going back and forth on the Lord, how does this work? I mean, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And so we read right here that he moved David to number the people. Now, how many of you here are reading through your Bibles in a year in the bulletin with us? Okay, for, for those of you that, that probably noticed, today we read uh, 1 Chronicles 21, where it says that Satan moved David to number Israel. And so I was like, Lord, how does this work? I mean, um, you know, there are some who say that he in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 24 is actually supposed to be a small he, that it's not in reference to God, it's in reference to the devil. And that kind of makes sense in a roundabout way, but I think when you take this verse, just this verse, at face value, God is on the throne. God is the one who's upset with Israel, and so in his sovereignty, more than likely what's happening is the devil has been asking God, I want to tempt David. I want to tempt David to number the people. And God, you know, allows it to happen. And so God is on the throne, Satan is doing his thing, and David has this human responsibility. It's all working together, we're going to see, to accomplish his purposes. But in looking at this right here, I think that we've got to figure, you know, whatever's going on in your life, and I know sometimes it's hard, man. It's hard to understand what is God doing in this situation. But remember that he's sovereign, that he's in control. That whatever it is that's going on in your life, He has allowed it to happen. And it's been filtered through the sovereignty of His love and His providence. And if you stay focused, and because God is so good, watch how He will, in the end, use it for good. Because we're going to see even this, in the end, it actually is used by, by God for, for good. You know, and the thing about it, you're like, well, what's the big deal? You know, he numbered the people. I mean, that's not a sin in and of itself, right? As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, when people got saved, we got the numbers of people that got saved. You know, when you read the Old Testament, they numbered the soldiers uh, at least a couple of times. There's nothing wrong with numbering the soldiers. But here's the thing. It was wrong for David for a couple of reasons. Number one, God didn't command it. God didn't command David to number the soldiers, and God didn't commission it. Because if you read Exodus chapter 30, verse 12, there, there's the, the, the layout. It says, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. And so, it's okay to number them. The problem is, you got to make sure that it's the Lord... And you've got to make sure that you're doing it as, as a ransom. It has to be done God's way. See, but David wasn't doing it for that reason. As a matter of fact, here's the, the, here's the idea behind it. When you number the people, what you're kind of saying is they are mine. You start counting, oh, they're, they're mine. No. Only God can number the people because they're his. You see? And that's where David went wrong. You know, it makes you wonder, why did David number the people? Why did he succumb to the temptation of the enemy who said, David, count all the people you have? Why did David do that? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. Probably uh, the first reason is pride. Pride. And I'll tell you what, you guys, and 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 I'm sure you can kind of understand the way this works, but... You know, um, numbers, numbers. You know, how, how many people are in your church, your church? Wait a minute, it's not your church, it's, it's God's church, it's Jesus' church. And, and we think that if there's more people, then it's more successful. You know, how big is your body? How big is your building? How big is your budget? And we, and I really believe even the church has bought that lie, hook, line, and sinker. And you know, God can make a big church and God can do what he what he wants to do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's happy with everything that's going on in the big church. You know, and then this is a tough thing because pastors I think struggle with this a lot. You know, they're like, Well, how many, you know, yesterday someone asked me, how many, how many adults do you have on your typical Sunday morning? And I'll be honest with you, I don't like those questions. I never count. I never do. I I don't. (laughs) I I try my hardest to stay away from that, you know? Because I I know that's, unfortunately, that's like the first thing they ask. You go to the pastor's conference. A lot of the guys, it's the first thing they ask. I would never ask someone that. How much money, you know, you got in the bank? I don't even know. I don't even know it. We don't pay attention to the numbers. And you know, it can it, you could be a boss. How many people you have under you, you know? How much money did you pull in in that business that you own? Oh yeah, 2.2 million this year. I mean, numbers. And it can happen to any of us. You guys, let me tell you something. Warren Wiersbe said, "Beautiful saying, there's no such thing as a small church." No such thing as a small church. Now, sometimes God blesses us and, you know, the church is doing a good thing and God will add to it. But some of the biggest churches in the world are the most off. You guys know that, right? And so, I think that was one of the things that was going on in David's life is, is that, you know, hey, he had just gotten done with the military victories and, you know, the most, the most vulnerable place to be is right after victory, and so he's like, wow, I saw all these soldiers go out into the battle and swells of them and the, and the glory of it and the, the victories that we just experienced. I wonder how many soldiers are in my mighty kingdom. And, and so when Satan comes in, well, why don't you count them? Why don't you find out? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to find out how big my kingdom is and, and pride is probably one of the reasons that David started counting the people. Now another reason I think is it, it could be fear, because you'd be surprised. Even right after victory, you know, you might you think to yourself, and I don't know if you guys have ever been here, you know, but like, you know, like, you know, you just got this victory, right? And then you know, you're wondering, well, I wonder if I could do it again. I don't know if I could do it again, you know. I mean, we got into this building the first time. I remember how the Lord gave us the victory, you know, there at city council meeting. But, man, I don't know if he could do it again. See, and a lot of times the fear will be the factor. I think David was probably thinking, well, how many guys do we have? Because, you know, next time when they come against us from the Philistines and if they have like 700,000 soldiers How many do we have? Do we have like 750,000? Because a lot of times fear will kick in. All I know is that, you know, the Lord's on the throne. He's going to do a great thing. God's angry with Israel. The ball starts rolling. uh, Satan comes in. He tempts David to number the people. David's then, look what we read in in verse 2. It says, So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. So Dan was on the very top north of Israel to Beersheba. That's the southernmost city of Israel. And and count the people that I may know the number of the people. And, And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more then there are, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it, but why does my lord the king desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan and camped in aror on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and toward jazer and then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tathim, Hadshi, They came to Dan and Jan and surround to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And then they went out to south Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Now think about that. He had like nine months and twenty days, David did to get right. And God gives us time to get right. He gives us time to repent. So here's nine months. And, you know, the guys are just traveling. You see them, they go west and they go north and they go east and they go south. And, you know, we see that they're hitting all these cities. And nine months and, and 20 days... And then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Wow. 1.3 million soldiers. Wow. You know, I remember when we first started the church, there were five people there on the Thursday night, you know, and then, you know, when we first started, first, first Sunday, 45 people. I counted. No, I'm just joking. I didn't, you know. We're thinking, you know, oh, now, you know, how many hundreds? And then one day, how many thousands? How many thousands? How many ten thousands? So, so when do you reach the point That you're pleasing to God. When do you reach the point that now you're invincible? Now you got 1.1 million soldiers. Right? And so David, are you now invincible? You want to know something? Now, since you numbered the people, the contrary is now actually true. Now, you're vulnerable. Because you're all into numbers now. Because that's what it's about for you. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You know, and when we started the church in Almani, well, you know, I mean the goal always has to be, God, bring yourself glory. And Lord, touch lives. And you know, one day when we're home in heaven. Our faithfulness will be measured, but I didn't make a deal. we didn't make a deal with God that said it has to be through this church. God just planted us here. We're one of many churches. But I do pray that He does a great work, and who knows what He will do, and you know now and after we die, just the ripple effects of all the prayers and the things that have gone on here. But our trust isn't in numbers now, and the bank account, the building we have, how big our body is. That's not where our trust is. It can't be. Some people trust in those things, just like David's time. Some trust in how many chariots you have, man. How many tanks you have? How many nuclear weapons do you have? You know, United States of America. You trust in those things, don't you? And the, and then David, you know, the psalmist says, but but we. We trust in the Lord. You know what the Bible says? The help of man is useless. So all the things that we're facing as a church and all the things that you're facing in life, I'm not saying that God can't use a vessel or God can't use a man. As a matter of fact, He normally does. But He doesn't need them. And they should never be glorified and if we trust in men then you know the what God really wants to do it won't get done I mean you go to the doctors and you're sick and you know um you know they're they're treating you and they're giving you medication and it's cool but all along where's your trust? Your trust is in the Lord and you're praying you're praying, Lord give these knucklehead doctors wisdom cuz <laughs> Really, but well, nine times out of ten, they don't have a clue. And you trust in the Lord, and God heals you. God does a great thing. Or whatever the situation may be. Some people, are they're still in that situation. They should already be out of that situation by now, but they're still in that situation because they haven't yet come to that place of fully trusting God. And God's just waiting for you to trust Him. Lord, I trust you in this situation. Lord, you're on the throne. Not that you don't care, not that you take it lightly, but you you have faith. What a difference it makes when you have faith in God. God, I know you're going to step in. I know you're going to save the day. Lord, I know. Why? Because you have faith. You have trust. A while back, I remember uh, there was this program on television, and uh, it was these skiers, and they were blind. Okay, it was a long time ago. It wasn't snowboarding. Okay, it was skiers, and they were blind, and they were taught. They were taught how to turn to the right, turn to the left. Think about it. You're blind. Okay, they teach you how to turn to the right, turn to the left, go straight. Turn to the right, turn to the left, go straight. You're blind. So then what happened was, you know, they went on the slope and they went on the actual route. And what happened was the sighted skiers were right behind them and they would give them the commands, turn right, turn left, go straight. Turn right, turn left, go straight. Imagine that. Put yourself in their situation. You're a skier, you're blind and y'all, all you can do is completely trust in the words that are spoken. See, that's where God wants us to to come to. You know, I mean, God doesn't want us to come to church and oh, I'm not, I did the service today. God wants to build up your trust in Him. In Him. See, David, unfortunately, he came. He started, oh, you know, just buying the line. Oh, you you know, you need to number. The army, how big is it? You know, and you, you know, man, you never know. The day may come where you know this army, this big army, comes against you, and the Lord, is just say no. As a matter of fact, now you've made it worse. See, 2 Corinthians five seven says, "We walk by faith, not by sight." We walk by faith, not by sight. You know, I don't know what the Lord's going to do in my life. I don't know. You know. I may get you know, a diagnosis of cancer tomorrow, or He may you know, take my voice away. I mean, He can do anything He wants. He can do anything He wants, right? It doesn't matter though. I know there are certain things that He will never do. He will never leave me nor forsake me. See, and those are the things that matter the most. Because whatever He wants to do in my life, that's what I want. I remember when I, we were having uh, our, my son Aaron, and I remember um, people would always ask me, "You want a boy or a girl? You want a boy or a girl?" We already had a girl, so you know everybody's thinking, "Well, you want a boy, right?" And, I, and yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly came to that place in my, in my heart where I said, I, "I want what God wants. I want what God wants. That's all I could say. I couldn't say I want a boy. I couldn't say I want a girl." I could only say, I want what God wants. And that's where we should be. I want what God wants. I want that, what God wants. You know, we have a, a, a story over in Second Chronicles. Let's turn there real quick. second chronicles chapter 14 in verse 8 we read about Asa he had an army of 300,000 from judah who carried shields and spears and from benjamin 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows all these were mighty men of valor and so he had like 580,000 mighty men of valor soldiers then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million, oh man, a million men. And check this out, three, it says right here, 300 chariots. And he came to Marisha. And so Asa went out against him and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephyrath at Marisha. And Asa, notice, here's what he did, you guys. Asa cried out to the Lord his God. And he said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. What did Asa do? A million soldiers coming at him. He's only got 580,000. They've got their chariots. What did he do? He prayed. Pray. He cried out to the Lord. I'll tell you what, you, you know, I trust the Lord. You trust the Lord. Have you been praying? Because I think that when you trust the Lord, you pray to the Lord. That's what Asa did. I mean, people probably thought he was crazy, man. You know, when Chuck Smith's mom, you know, they had their daughter, she, she was, she was, something happened to her physically, and, uh, and she was lifeless. So what did the mom do? Rather than taking her to the hospital, she took her to the church. Now, I know, I'm not telling you to do that, unless God tells you to do that. But that's what they did. They went to the church, prayed over the little girl, her life came back. That triggered this whole spiral of her dedicating her life to God through her son, Chuck. Prayer. See, and that's what Asa did prayer. And so, what happens in verse 12? So, the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Think about that, man. They defeated a million men. But that was the beginning. In the 36th year of his reign, uh, King Asa was also uh, there. And what ended up happening was this army came against him. And so you know what King Asa did? He hired the Syrians. Instead of praying, he hired the Syrians. And, and you know, God gave him the victory. But what ended up happening is a prophet came back to him, 2 Chronicles fourteen twelve. And the Lord struck the Ethiopians, I'm sorry, in the 36th year, Second Chronicles 16, Hanani's message to Asa. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and he said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Assyria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, He delivered them into your hand. I mean, this prophet came and rebuked him. He said, now what happened? After 36 years of experience, you're no longer trusting the Lord because you figured out how to kind of work the system. Oh, this is what kings do. Right? And so the the prophet tells him, he says, here's the thing, you, you know, here's the thing. It's a beautiful passage. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. Do you see what it's about? It's not about, we got the victory and the Syrians are are." They're awesome, man. It's about, we got the victory, and the only explanation is God. See, that's what God wants to do through our life. Where someone will look at your life, and they'll say, man, look at what's going on. Look at what God is doing. Their hearts are loyal to the Lord. Supernatural 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 and yet i don't see that a lot of times it's just natural it's like well they might be experiencing god's power they might not i don't know there's really not a lot of evidence whether or not god's really alive right there in that situation in their life they're just kind of like everybody else god's not god doesn't want to do that like everybody else God wants to shine. And when your hearts are loyal to the Lord, you won't go to Egypt. You won't go to Syria. Things will happen in your life that people know, man, it's God. And that's what David was getting away from. Psalm 60, 11, it says, Give us help from trouble, for the help of men is useless. See, God wants to show himself strong. But unfortunately, you know, I think David here, he got off track. He starts numbering the people. Joab knew it was wrong. Tried to fight him. Now, You know, a lot of times your friends will tell you, hey, don't do that. But, you know, hey, who are you? I'm King David. Who are you? You know, I, I'm... And our pride, God says, listen to the counsel of the godly. Listen. David didn't listen, so he numbers the people. So we read in verse 10, And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. And so David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. So after that whole thing happened, and I don't know, probably nine months and 20 days of the Holy Spirit saying, dude, you know, get right. You know, get right with the Lord. He, he just did it. And then it was all, when it was all done, he comes back and he gets the final number. And, uh, and then the Bible says in the old King James, in the King James it says his heart smote him. The NIV, it says David was conscience stricken. Now this is actually a good thing, you know, one of the things I always like to tell people is that know when you blow it, the devil will come in and he'll try to condemn you. You know, he'll try to say, you know, you blew it, don't go to church. You blew it, You, you shouldn't even be a Christian anymore. You know, he tempts you to sin and then when you fall, he kicks you while you're down. That's condemnation from the enemy. But conviction, conviction will do something completely different. Conviction will actually draw you to God. Condemnation will take you away from God. The devil says, go away. Conviction will draw you to the cross. And that's what David is experiencing right now. He's experiencing conviction. And conviction is good, right? It's from the Holy Spirit. But then what ends up happening is that leads to this other beautiful thing. It's called confession. Confession. He says right here that, that that David, as he's going through this, he, he confesses to the Lord. Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. You know, and, and that's so important for us to do. When was the last time you like had a good confession, conversation? Either with God or maybe with somebody that you hurt? You know, sometimes parents and to tell their kids, I'm sorry because I got angry with you. I mean, some parents would never say that, right? Or whatever it is, when we drop the ball in some situation, we've sinned. And you know, it's not good enough, you guys. It's not good enough just to say to God, well, I, I uh, you know, uh, Lord, I come into your presence. Forgive me of my sins and bless my beautiful day. No, God says, okay, wait, hold on a second, time out. Let's stop about that sin part, okay? <laughs> what have you done? What are you guilty of? What have you violated? When was the last time you got specific with the Lord? If you haven't got specific with the Lord, you don't even know what you're doing. You don't know what you need to repent of. You don't know what's holding you back, what's messing up your life. And so, you, you know, you got to get specific. I mean, right here, after this whole thing is numbered, Lord, I've blown it in this area. Confession is so important for us. The Bible says, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, and you got you to gotta speak it, confess it, agree that it's sin, resolve not to do it again. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, won't prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And you guys probably know, huh? This is the difference between David and Saul. Saul, what did Saul do whenever he sinned? Saul made excuses, right? I mean, just man, like Adam. You know, when God came to Adam, Adam, what's up? Adam said, it's the wife you gave me. You know, it's her fault and it's your fault, right? And so the Lord goes to Eve, what's up? Why'd you do that? It's the serpent. Man, you should have never made it. It's your fault. Nobody wants to accept responsibility. And I'll tell you what, you know, whatever sin that you fall in, you can always find an excuse. You can always find a reason stuffed with a lie to justify what you did. But it's not until you just man up and you say, Lord, I've blown it. I have sinned against you. And this is what I've done. I've identified it, Lord. And it's then that God can begin to work with you. If not, you will have a future like Saul. But if you confess your sins, then you'll end up like David. David confessed his sins. Conviction followed by confession. It's so good. But it's just too bad that the conviction and confession didn't come before his commitment of the sin. And that's why we really need vision. You know, this road that you're on, these things that you're doing, maybe God's been meddling with you in, in you know, areas that, that need to be changed, rearranged. Where, where will it lead? You know, the Bible says a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself but the simple pass on and they're punished i mean you guys ever seen that some of the guys some of the younger guys you know we, we, we lack wisdom or just like ah, i'm going to do it anyways right and you know it's not good yeah it's all right it'll be all right everything always works out in the end right wrong they just simple pass on And are punished. And God says, you know, I've been asking you to read your Bible with your wife. Why won't you do that? I mean, what's so difficult about reading the Bible with your wife? What's wrong with that? I've been asking you to pray with your wife. Why won't you do that? Why? Why? You know, some of the single people, men, engage in things they shouldn't be engaged in. Watching things on television that you shouldn't be watching. God's been trying to tell you why. You know, and it could be a relationship. Somebody that you're, you're flirting with. Oh, it's okay to, you know, check out the menu as long as you don't place an order. Yeah, right. Can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? you got to have biblical, spiritual convictions and boundaries that are holy before the Lord. The simple pass on and they're punished. See, I don't know what God's been trying to, to tell you. I know what He's been trying to tell me, you know, different areas of my life. But man, right here, David, he just, ah, it's okay, it's all going to work out. You know, thank God that he came to that place of conviction and confession. But man, how much better it would have been if all that would have taken place before the commitment. But David does pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And God, you know, God is so cool. God answers, it says in verse 11, Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, Thus says the Lord. I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. Uh, You guys ever do that with your kids? Okay, I'll give you three options, right? (laughs) That's what the Lord did with with David. He had made the choice to sin. Now God's going to give him a choice as far as the discipline. And so what we see in verse 13, God came to David and told him, And he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And and David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. You know, sometimes with our kids, when, we, uh, when they, you know, do something wrong, I mean, there's times where you just kind of let it slide, right? But there's, you know, a lot of times where you just know that's not the best thing for them. And there's just times where you can't. You know, here the Lord, in dealing with David, you'd forgive his sin, but there were still consequences. Whatever you sow, that you will also reap. It's a law of the Lord. Unless He intervenes, it's the law of the Lord. And every little word you say to your kids, boom, it's on their hard drive. You keep putting them down, you keep putting them down, you keep putting them down, and you damage them or to your wife. You know, and we got to try to forgive when we try to try to move on, but remember, whatever you sow, That you will also reap. Unless God, He's not bound to, but sometimes He miraculously intervenes. He's not giving us everything we deserve. Otherwise, where would we all be right now? We'd be in hell, right? He doesn't do that. But here we see the Lord just says, David, you know, I got to discipline you, son. And so what do you think Uh, years of famine months of fleeing your enemies or maybe days of pestilence at the hand of the Lord now some people say that David in considering these things these three options one was that he was thinking well you know if it's famine it's just going to affect the poor people right the rich people they have food they're going to be okay they've got money And if it's just war, then it's probably just going to affect the soldiers. And, you know, I'll probably be okay because I don't have to go out to war anymore. The only one that seems fair is pestilence. Because that one right there, it affects everybody equally. So some say that was part of the reason that David chose the pestilence. Uh, uh, But I think here we have more explicitly the reason is articulated there in verse 14. It says, David said, I, I, I need to fall into the hand of the Lord. Why? Because His mercies are great. Do not let me fall into the hand of man. And that's so true, huh? The Lord is much more gracious than a lot of these guys. I found that to be true in my life. David said, the reason why I choose the Lord is because of the mercy that He gives, the way that He doesn't punish us, the way that we deserve, the way, like Psalm 103, verse 11, For the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. Psalm 108, beautiful psalm, talks about the heavens even higher, the mercy is even higher than the heavens. And so He says, "I, I just want to fall into Your hands, Lord. And so we read, In verse 15, So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough now. Restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Araunah, also called Ornan in Chronicles, the Jebusite. And then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. Imagine that. Seventy thousand men die. It's heavy. You know, David sees this whole thing, and there's the angel of the Lord, and he's got his sworn drawn. David's able to see it there above to above Jerusalem, ready to smite Jerusalem. You know, and, and you and you read this whole thing and you're like, Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. And it is difficult to understand at times. We know, like we read in verse 1, that the Lord was angry with the whole nation. We know that, right? But we also have to know that, that leaders, we do have a responsibility that affects other people. And, that, and that's, we can't take away from that in this story. We have to understand the justice of God. We also have to understand the responsibility of man. You know, leaders. Seventy thousand men died as a result of David's sin. Is anyone dying as a result of your sin, your refusal to pray the way that you should be praying, or obeying the way that you should be obeying God? Things that God's you know been dealing with you in your life. You're a leader. Where are you leading your family? Where are you leading maybe that ministry? People are watching you. You're a Christian. You're leading people. Where? I mean, leaders in the political realm. Our President of the United States. Those in office. United Nations. You know, Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was a leader, right? And as a result of his sin, uh, maybe somewhere around 60 million people died because of him. How about You? Well, you're like, a lot of people, you know what they say? They say, well, you know, it's just me, it's just my life. I mean, I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah, you are. You never sin unto yourself. And so here's David, and, you know, he's just, Lord, I don't get it. All these people dying. They don't deserve to die. Well, they don't deserve to live either. It's a complicated thing. But what it does to me as a pastor, as a leader, as a husband, as a father, and for those of you out there who are in any position of ministry, I hope it just awakens you to the, the reality of what God has entrusted into your care. You're like, well, Manny, I don't lead 70,000 people. Yeah, you lead one person, one person. Do you know how valuable that one person is to God? Are you going to say that's no big deal? You're the leader. We're the leaders. David right here, he learns that the very difficult way. And sometimes, uh, I'll be honest with you guys, as as a dad, you know, not that you... There's no perfect parent whatsoever. There isn't, but you know, you're, just, you're just like, man, Lord, and my, my, you know, I would have to say a good 50% of all my prayers are just for my family. I know they have a choice to make, but it's just constantly, Lord, my family, praying for them. And I think we need to have that heart. And people, the Lord will lay people on your heart. Because as a result of maybe our sin, maybe even not praying for them, not leading them the way that we should, you know, numbering them in this case, they suffer. And so what ends up happening, it's kind of cool the way that this story ends up. It's a heavy story, but it's also a a very beautiful story. You know, a few things I think we come away with. One is definitely the holiness of God. You know, God was angry with the nation because of the fact they were living in sin. God would judge the nation. Um, God judged David's sin. There's definitely an element of the holiness of God. And one of the things the Lord was really laying on my heart is, Manny, you know, that's, you that you got to make sure that that's instilled into the hearts of the people, the holiness of God. You, you know, in one sense, that's where it should start. That's why they always tell you, you know, share the law. When you're out evangelizing with people, you know, that they would know the holiness of God. The holiness of God. But then, going through this study, I think another thing that kind of stands out to me is is the faithfulness of God. David, you don't have to rely on your 1.1 million men. You don't. You can just rely on me. You just trust me. You know, before you numbered the people, you were invincible. Now that you've numbered the people, you're vulnerable. Before you trusted in your bank account or your job, you know, before you trusted in all those things, you were invincible. But now that that's all that you can focus on is the, how much money you got in the bank. Now you're vulnerable. You see, we've got to know the holiness of God. But I, I really pray that in our day-to-day lives, we're really caught up in the faithfulness of God. Let me tell you something, man. God loves you. God's going to take care of you. We go through situations in life and your faith is being tested. And my, my encouragement to you tonight is just believe in God. Believe in Him. Trust Him. You know, like I always tell Shally, when it comes to life or even sometimes the ministry, you know, there's no man who could figure this out. There's no man who can say, well, program A point B2 or this book right here, or you know what they did back, you know, 30 years ago or three years ago on the other side of town. No. Our job, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Manny, pray. You're in the word, he's speaking to you. You are doing your very best to obey Him. And, and you trust Him in everything. You know, the other day we had a leak in, in the front yard. And, and um, it's crazy, man. So you know, one of the guys comes. He starts digging in the yard. And, oh, it's got to be there. No, it's not there. It's got to be there. No, it's not there. Guess where it was? Guess where the leak was? Underneath our sidewalk. That's not fair. <laughs> but the Lord says, Manny, don't even sweat it, man. Don't even sweat it. Because this is what I want to do for you. I want to bless you in this. You're going to bless me in this, Lord. This is going to cost a lot of money, man. <laughs> yeah, but watch what happens. And so the guy goes up in the front and he, and he has to cut off you know, this part and then the valve here. And he says, Wow, look at this. He says, Did you know your valve was broken? I never knew it was broken. Yeah, it was broken. It's been shut 90% for the last two years. And so I said, Oh, okay, that's why our shower would just kind of drip out like this. And God says, I allowed this to happen so I can fix that. And so he turned on the water pressure and I shot the hose. I was like, Wow, I was getting my neighbor across the street, man. This is awesome. 120 pounds of pressure right there. In our, and, you know, the things that you're going through, don't you know the, the purpose behind the pain? You trust Him. See, you know the holiness of God, but then you know the faithfulness of God, and that's how you live your life. And then it, just, it gets even better. Because you want to know what it ends with? It ends with the graciousness of God. Because look what we read next in verse 18. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arauna the Jebusite. And so David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Arauna looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And so Araunah went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And then, Araunah said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from my people. Now Araunah said to David, Well, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen and burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood all these, O king, Araunah has given to the king. And Arana said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. And then the king said to Arana, No, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. I was going back and forth on this study. Lord, why did you have to get David involved? Why? Why did you have to get David involved? You were angry with the nation of Israel. Why didn't you just judge them because you were angry with the nation of Israel you could do that you didn't need David to necessarily number the people you didn't have to allow Satan to tempt him you didn't have to go that route why didn't you just judge the nation because you were angry with them and all I could think of and I don't know but all I could think of was was this because God wanted to orchestrate events so that eventually he would come to the place where David would offer the sacrifice, because he knew his whole part in the whole thing, he would offer the sacrifice that would bring the grace of God to the people of God. And so there's the angel. and Think about it. David sees the angel with his sword over Jerusalem, ready to smite Jerusalem. David sees it. Lord, and he prays, Lord, please, these sheep, please, Lord. And and the Lord says, Okay, then, will you go offer a sacrifice there? And and so, you know, David goes to around, and there in a threshing floor. Usually a threshing floor was up higher because the wind would blow through, separate the wheat from the chaff, right? That's what God's doing. And so... You know, David says, you know, this is why I'm here. Why are you here? This is why I'm here. i got to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, and I'm going to buy everything. Oh, no, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to pay for it. I'll give it to you free. And and David says, no. You know, I'll buy this threshing floor right here for an amount. I'll buy the whole land. Chronicles 21 talks about buying the whole land. Because I won't offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And if I could just say this as a quick side note, I think there are a lot of people trying to offer to the Lord ministry that costs them nothing. God, if I could just squeak by, I don't have to pray over this. I don't have to work hard over this. I mean, I've been doing this for years now. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And I think a lot of times, I mean, it's cool. You want to get a good deal on your water heater? Go for it, you know? And you buy it on Craigslist or whatever. We got to do that, right? At At least three, you know, prices. Okay, what's the best deal for what I'm getting? Why are you trying to do that with God? What's the best deal with God? How can I squeak by with just the least amount invested into this thing? And God says, that's the way you're serving me? That's the way you're serving me? David said, I won't offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I'm not looking for a good deal in this. And so David buys it. And he offers burn offerings. He offers peace offerings. That's you know, burn offerings are is when, Lord, I'm all yours. When the offering was consumed, Lord, I'm all yours. Peace offerings means you're fellowshipping with God now. It's, it's, it's back. To where that that beautiful relationship with the Lord. I love it. I love it. I'm walking with God. I'm talking with God. This, I remember, you know, maybe for some of you here, you need to return to your first love. The burnt offerings. Peace offerings. And it's cool, you know, because what ends up happening is David buys this land right here. And the Lord heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. This whole thing led to him buying land. And you want to know something that's cool, and we'll close with this, because you know we've got to have communion tonight, is that this land was eventually the future temple. Right? First Chronicles chapter three and verse one. Second Chronicles. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David, at that place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. See, there's a big difference between David and Saul. Saul didn't belong to the Lord. David did. If you put your faith in Christ, then you belong to the Lord. And it's so amazing. Not, you know, those who are like insistently, persistently, resistantly, consistently living in sin. But those of you, and I know there are many of you here, you know you're, you're trying you're trying you stumble we stumble but we want on on the lord we want on the lord and there there's a difference there's a there's a line there are those they don't want to they're completely different but those that god I want to they're like a david The failures are there. Yeah, but the faithfulness is there. Do you realize what God's going to do? How God is going to take the things that have happened in your life, even the failures, somehow, He's going to transform them into structures for His glory. You know, one day when we're in heaven, we're going to see the woman who was caught in adultery, in John chapter 8. Did you guys know that? We're going to see her in heaven one day. And that's all we know about her. Oh, she's the chick that was caught in adultery. You know, they set her up. You know, she probably did it all the time. But here she is in heaven. In heaven. Who's going to get the glory? God is. God took the two biggest failures of David's life with Bathsheba and numbering the people and He he, he put them together to build Himself a temple through Solomon and this land right here. And I guess it's, a, it's kind of a living illustration of Romans 5, verse 20. What does the Bible say? Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You see, we've got to start off and we've got to know the holiness of God. But then we've got to continue to live connected to the faithfulness of God. But the one that that just completes it, the one that really changes my heart is the graciousness of God. How God not only doesn't give us what we deserve, but He's able to lavish things upon our life that can only be understood by the power of the blood of His cross. And that's how we close tonight, you guys. The most important thing is that you are a believer. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, I pray that today you would repent of your sins and that you would receive Christ. Follow Him. You know, you want to make sure that you know Him. When you you die, you go to heaven if you haven't given your life to Christ don't wait another second give your life to Christ right here right now but if you have i guess my prayer is you know let's ask god for the heart that david had in the sense that he was a man after god's own heart acts 13:22 that ultimately I think even though he failed and that's why we know this is the word of God because all the warts are there, right? (laughs) He belonged to the Lord and God did a great work. He'll do that with your life as well. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word.